Oh yeah, I didn't wear it on the on the paddle. Gotcha. We's headed home, and I was getting a pack of gum up there, and Chili come like he was sliding into home on the, coming up to the cash register and throwed his hat up on the counter, and he said, "I'm gonna get that pack of gum for him." Threw his <laughs> hat and his twenty dollar bill. <laughs> Big spender. Mm-hmm. Well, you saw that hat. On the way, on the drive down, didn't Yeah, you? I thought about it for the whole time I was out paddling that stupid river. Did we stop at that same? Sh- no. Where'd you? So it was at a different gas station. It was station at a totally too. different gas station. I walked in to get a a, uh, a Rice Krispie treat and saw the hat. I said, mm-hmm. oh, it was meant to be. Went and got it. That's a good looking hat. I covered down on Blake's gum too. Yeah. Didn't even get a Rice Krispie. No. No, I figured we'd we'd stop for dinner. Well, everyone, welcome back to the Three of Seven podcast. We have a <clears throat> full crew in the studio today, which you'll probably be thankful for. <clears throat> um, we've been out and about. We we ran our longest mission training mission to date here at Three Seven Project over the last week and a half or so. So. We have been out in the back country doing that while uh, Blake and Krista have been in the rear with the gear. So, um, but we're back. We got a, <laughs> we're back with a full crew. This episode is going to be brought to you by Salty Britches because we're going to talk about this mission that we ran over the last week and a half or so and one of the products that many of us utilized while we were out doing this long unsupported paddle is a product called salty britches salty britches is the best anti-chafing cream that i have personally ever used Um, when i was in seal training we used a stick of stuff called um what is that stuff called it comes in like a deodorant body glide body glide body glide (laughs) It sucked so bad, man. I'd put it on like I'd put it on before a, a two mile ocean swim, and uh, it worked for like the first ten minutes under my wetsuit, and then it would just be gone and didn't work at all after that. So, salty britches is not like that. Um, you can put it on one application, and it'll last you all day long. It'll keep you from chafing. Uh, it actually acts as a really good skin barrier, too. It was interesting to hear uh, our friend Scott. He did the Yukon 1000 race, and uh, he used Salty Bridges on the Yukon 1000, which is a 1,000-mile-long paddle on the Yukon River. Ugh. And Scott actually used the Salty Bridges on his feet like I do. Many of you guys have heard me say before that I use salty britches on my feet. I kind of coat my foot in the salty britches and pull my sock on over top. And Scott did that, and so his feet were actually in good shape at the end of the Yukon 1000, whereas his paddle partner got trench foot. Yeah. So it works as a really uh, effective skin barrier to keep moisture and stuff out of the skin, and that's really, really important especially on your feet when you're out long-term. Trench foot is no joke. They can actually have to cut your foot off if that gets too bad. So we've been using Salty Bridges for about two years now. Amy's an amazing human being with an amazing product. If you run, surf, swim, paddle, work out, anytime that things might rub you the wrong way, 
And if you don't like chafing, like I don't like chafing, get you some salty britches at getsaltybritches.com. Go order you some. I'll attach a link to their website in the show notes of this episode. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. No kidding. It works. You doubled down on that stuff, didn't you, Chili? Oh, yeah. Well, I figured we'd get to that during the during the episode since Chad wants to recount what we just did. I've got to live this all over again. So <laughs> It's um, like a nightmare. But, yeah, I'll, I, um, I freaking use Salty Bridges more than I thought I would. I mean, I used it for my feet. Um, I was getting a little trench footy, you know, when it was raining so hard that first day. And um, went ahead and nipped that in the bud. And then um, my lips got super sunburnt. And I started um, putting some of that sunscreen on my bottom lip. But then that wasn't really working because it was already sunburnt. So that was just preventing more sunburn. So then at night, I started putting that salty britches on it before I went to sleep. And uh, every morning, it was a little more healed, I felt, from doing that. So that was, it helped in that way. Um, That seat on them blasted kayaks rubs the crap out of your back. So I started putting it on my back, Mm -hmm. quit that. I mean, yeah, it's... Multiple uses. Get get uh get um creative with it. It's not just you know put it on your feet and be done with it or whatever. It can it's it's got a lot of uses. So that's one thing I like about it is it's versatile. You know what's interesting? Amy told us she, we did a podcast with her one time and she said that the brand Chapstick. Mm-hmm. She said that they actually put something in there to dry your lips out. So in the short term, it feels like it works, but long term, it's actually drying your lips out. So you out. just need more of it. So you have to keep using it. And, and, you know, she said, yeah, you can use salty britches as a chapstick mm-hmm. easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds about right. Well, my lips don't chap because I'm not a puss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't quite really need to use it that in that manner. But Yeah. How about how you got done with that workout and you just like, oh, gosh, it looks like really put a hurting on me. I need a beer and a well, sweet You should have heard him before you walked in. He said he could barely even talk. He said, man, I, I think took it. So I work up, took it out of Well, hey, man. man. Sorry I ain't been in the rear with the gear for the last <laughs> couple <of> weeks. <laughs> well, um, dude, that's what happened. <laughs> dude, that was just a little morning run. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to make an announcement Good. for any Great. of you guys that, um, that think you're going to do this ultra running thing uh, for the next you know, few months, summer, into fall. Uh, I f- really feel bad for you if you think you're going to do ultra running because Chili's tuned up <laughs> and you're just screwed. Any of you guys listen to this? You're, if you think you're going to do ultra running and actually win, you're screwed. Uh, he's tuned back up, man. He's he's to the point where he pretty much beats me by accident. Well, tell him what you told me in, when he's leaving. What did I tell you? That I don't gauge gauge it off of him. Yeah, yeah. I told him that too. He was yeah. like, "Oh man, Chili, you you getting tuned up? You just beating me at your easy pace." Well, you you shouldn't gauge it off of me or anybody else. But exactly. But you should you should when you when you say you're tuned up, you should beat people effortlessly. Everyone. I'm I'm not even tuned up yet. Yeah. So all you guys that think you got races coming up and stuff like this. Might as well just go ahead and quit. 
Well, there's. I will tell them I'm not going to be at a race every weekend this fall. You got a few. You got one big one, right? Oh yeah. And then, uh, hopefully, I've learned from my past mistakes, and we'll give that one the business. Yeah, we'll see. So, have you signed up already? Mm-hmm. Okay, I actually did. Yeah, it was filling up. I might go do that Rebecca Mountain race with you. Yeah, I mean, just if, for fun. Are you gonna come home in time? Yeah, maybe. Well, yeah, we'll go do that. Okay. Um. So yeah, that's for all you guys that are ultra running and. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely not tuned up and I've just, I've just kind of outgrew the whole running thing. Uh, I, I like it. I still enjoy it. I think it's an essential part of fitness and I'm sure I'll get back into some sorts of races and things like that in in the future, but I'm really transitioning more into things that you would call adventures, right? You've been wanting to for a while. Challenging things that require multiple skill sets in order to accomplish and be successful. Um, that's really where I'm being pulled uh, and where I feel like I'm most challenged and what appeals to me the most. So I did submit my interest in the Yukon 1000. Scott convinced me of that unsupported paddle race and if i get accepted there which hopefully i will that'll be my big race for next year that sounds awful it it is i mean it is it's but that's what appeals to me about it it's like it is brutal yeah i mean when you take all like you talked about the just the seat yeah in that in those boats and you know um completely unsupported and the sun and exposure and and fires and i mean that's what i like about it is the fact that it is awful well i like a lot about it but to me i can get all of that i can get everything i like about it out of running something really long without having to sit in a kayak for a week Mm -hmm. so that's why i'm like ah yeah but i think the caveat is I think the caveat is there's a there's a lot of skill sets that would go into a race like the Yukon, like specific skill sets. Whereas running, like you can get the discomfort portion out of of a, a run, a fast run, long run, whatever it may be, but you don't. The skill sets don't come into play in terms of being able to read water, being able to build fire, being able to set up. Uh, camp, um, the the planning. Well, you have plan. You plan your runs out pretty specifically, but um, I like the planning aspect of it, the navigational aspect of it, knowing how to utilize the boat, navigating rapids, flats, all this stuff. It's that's what is appealing to me right now. Will you have a partner for that, or can you do it solo? No, you have to have a partner. Okay. Yeah, you have to have a partner. So I do have a partner. So yeah, who's your partner? James. Okay. James is committed. Is All he right. gonna do it? Yeah, he's committed. Yep. Has he paddled a lot? Um, I don't know about a lot. Well, neither of you. Yeah. So I mean, that's a good team. Yeah. Although And and the thing about that race, the race director doesn't look for somebody that that has paddled a lot. They look for somebody with wilderness skills. 
That's what he's looking for. I just can't get. I mean, I need to talk to Scott even more about it because I talked. Well, we've to recorded him. a podcast on it. Well, I talked to him some, but I don't. I want to know how fast that water's moving. It's got to be flowing fast, man. Like, how liable are you to turn over? Pretty liable, at least through the rapids. And then if you did, and you lost all your gear, you're just hosed. Yeah. <laughs> like big time. Big time. Like hose. for real. Yeah, like that, a guy. That and so that's that's another thing that is appealing more to me. The, uh, is the risk. The, the risk. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I'm, risky. I'm not gonna go overboard with it, obviously, but when you're doing something that you have a real consequence of um, potentially losing your life, it just hones you, man. So I like that. So that's what I'm looking at. Um I still like the idea of the Cocodona. 250 miler what about the penhody you can that no i mean i want to do that one day i just i just don't know when so don't rush that yeah i know that has to be right that has to be right anyways let's talk about the uh the most recent mission that we just did and blake and krista you guys can ask any questions that you guys have <laughs> i i just would want to i just want to preface it with um well why why did we even decide to do this because all of our training, uh, all of our training missions, at least up to this point, have all been confined to a three-day time period. And so, why did we decide to go and run a mission that's nine and a half days long? Um, well, for me, the reason I personally thought that this was a good opportunity for people who wanted to push themselves, grow, learn is because in a three-day mission out in the backcountry, you, you you're kind of getting a feel for it the first day. Um, the second day, you know, you get, you get through the second day, and then no matter how bad it is, well, you know you're going to be out done the next day. And not to say that isn't challenging, but... Nine and a half days, you have to fully immerse yourself in it. Um, you're out there, man, and there's no there's no turning back on a river. That's another thing I like about it. It's like you don't come to a crossroads. There's only one way to go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's with the current mm -hmm. toward the end. Um, so I like the fact that you can't hide. You have to get fully immersed. And another big component that I love to this mission is it brought out tension between team members, individual personalities and team members. And of course, Team Genesis, which is the team that accomplished this mission, they would some of them would dispute that. <laughs> but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I saw tension between personalities out there. Oh, trust me. <laughs> Do you think that the mission in particular, there's something about it that was different that brought more of that out? The time. Okay. The time. Because in, yeah. a, in a, in a three-day mission, if somebody's getting on your nerves, who cares? I mean, you're with them essentially for a day. You know, the first the day on the front end is, you know, you're so engrossed in learning. The second day is when you could experience some tension between personalities, but then you know you're out the next day, so what's why even confront it? But out here, it forces the team members to confront 
the tension that they're experiencing between one another, the friction that they're experiencing, or not confront it and implode and have a terrible time. Yeah, that's fine too. Should learn it. You should learn an equal, uh, equally valuable lesson by not doing that. You know, in the backcountry, there's something you have to do, or else nothing works. You have to be honest. Honesty trumps everything when you're in that environment because there's real risk. The mission has to be done because you, you can't just go to your car and leave. And so if you're not honest when somebody's getting on your nerves, if you're not honest about um, something that may be hurting, if you're not honest about fatigue that you may be experiencing, if you're not honest with a problem that you may be facing, well, you, you put the entire mission in jeopardy. And so, again, another great thing about nine and a half days is it forces you into a position of honesty. And, yeah, you know, that's what I really loved about this. And for me personally, whether you like paddling or not, it's not about the paddling. The paddling's just the conduit. Um, and the paddling, this this mission was done on, on a river. We did from the very source, the genesis of the river, all the way to the ocean. Uh, paddling, whether you like it or not, it confronts you with a challenging environment. You have to get everything that you need and your team needs to survive on a 12-foot platform and you're in the most dangerous environment on the face of the earth, and that's water. Water is unforgiving. It will kill you. You cannot make mistakes. And when you get hit with weather on the water, as we saw, it can bring a, a uh, crisis to the surface very quickly. Because you can't get out of it. You're, you're on the water. So the paddling is the conduit. The water and, and the river is the presents the challenge. And the time is the other component that really deepens the learning, the growth, and the experience. So that's why I decided to do this mission. You guys think it was a good idea? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I do it just from the fact of that, you know, I was at the end of it, so I got to hear some of the debriefs and AARs and what people took out of it, and uh, it was life-changing for all of them in a, in a great way, you know, different areas of different people's lives, but what, whichever part of their life it was, it was significant to them to the point that it brought out, you know, raw emotion in the, you know, uh, when they were talking about it and uh, they're not the type of people to do that, to put on a show. So, you know, it's genuine. And so anything you learn on that great of a scale is, is worth doing to me. Mm -hmm. You know, if it, if it truly impacts people in that great of a way and yeah, it's definitely worth doing. Mm -hmm. It was a big undertaking too, because it's, um, it's pretty mind boggling. Uh, how, how much, well, and 
Maybe it's maybe it's less than your common person would think, but for me, looking at it, it takes a lot of gear to get 13. That's 10 students and three instructors down a river nine and a half days. I mean, it takes a That's lot of one gear. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was just the, all the preparation that went into it because it's easy to talk about in sense the event uh, and the story of that, but it started before you got on the river. And so I, I know because I witnessed some of the preparation – um, how important was that aspect of the mission and what all that did, did that involve? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, Krista. Um, I mean, the training that we do is, is my favorite part of what we do, but it definitely requires the most work. So when you talk about preparation for, for hosting a mission like this, well, it started last year in October when Chile and I went and did this route together, and that was preparation for this mission. So we had to do the whole thing. We had to do a dry run and uh, do the whole thing. Took us took us a long time. Um, and so just scouting everything out and, and learning the river and, and kind of the formatting the significant points along mm-hmm. the way and and uh developing the storyline around it and all of that and and so that was the the beginning of it and then the next big challenge is well how do we acquire enough boats to get this many people uh on the water because when we decided we wanted to run this it was during the coronavirus when you couldn't find anything, including kayaks or canoes. The kayak store down here in town had one kayak. <laughs> and didn't plan to get any more. Yep. And couldn't get any more. Man. And so uh, we had to really dig deep into our network and and figure out, find a company that could supply the boats and then make that big initial investment into buying 12 kayaks um, in order to make this happen and then leading up to it you know I, uh, I I think that I made a mistake in in my preparation because this this whole mission was kind of my baby um, I felt like I felt like I didn't let you guys in on my vision and what I what I was what needed to happen and and I feel like I didn't let you guys help me enough with that stuff. That's totally my fault because Chili asked me a hundred times, "What do you need me to do?" Krista asked me a hundred times, "What do you need me to do?" And it's like I just uh, I I want I, I I wanted to keep control of all aspects of it and i think when we run this mission again i think it's going to be way better if i don't try to do that all myself and um and so it was a lot of work a lot of pressure getting all that pressure that i didn't have to experience and uh i think it could have been better if i would have 
practiced what I preach. Yeah, it's a good leadership lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Practice yeah. what I preach, right? Well, we had a little conversation recently about how sometimes it feels easier just to do it yourself because it takes energy. It yeah. takes, um, you know, organizing your thoughts, communicating what you're thinking to people. And sometimes it's easier just to do it yourself in the short run, mm-hmm. but then it costs you in the long run. Yeah. So that little bit of effort it takes to bring people in and communicate things pays off in the long run. Yeah. So, yeah. But we pulled it off, man. Yeah. We got all, we got everything loaded up, got everything we needed. Another big part of the preparation is all the group gear that goes into it. Again, all the, all the community stuff that goes into moving a team that large for that long. Um, figuring out how all that stuff's going to sit on the boats, figuring out how to rig the boats because they have to be balanced out properly and there's a weight limit on the kayaks, which we saw... At the boat ramp, we had a uh, we had one of our students sink his kayak. Literally, as soon as he put it in the water, Jonah, <laughs> freaking Jonah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you when you bring a dang half ton barge with you, I mean, it's gonna sink and put it all in one spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got some pictures of that. You yeah. know, it is interesting. You talk about all the group gear that you had and. There was very little that you, um, that as it went along, you were like, man, I wish we had this. So you had everything we needed. And if you actually looked, it wasn't even that much. Yeah. For 13 people. No, for that, for that length of time too. Yeah. And, but we had every, you know, there was nothing that you're like, man, if we just had this. Yeah. And could have done without some stuff. That's what I was going to ask. Do you feel like you had what you needed or did you feel like you ended up having more than you needed? Would you tweak anything, change anything the next time you did it in that regard? What do you think, Chill? I think it was it was about the right amount, but if you if you wanted to lean one way, you would say you could just pare it down even more. Just to be lighter and quicker and more efficient because there was nothing that you you noticed, man, it would be nice if we had this. But there was a few things that you could do without. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and plus I'm always thinking lighter, you know, with my own personal gear. I went pretty dang light. I mean, you saw it was just a... Yeah. But I could have got rid of some of that crap, so... Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think you could have lightened it up a little bit. Um, uh, Now, what were some of the big big challenges that you kind of faced out there as an instructor, Chili? Um, well, going back to what you initially said, you know, I don't like asking what can I do? Uh, cause ideally there'll be something that's pretty obvious that you can just go do without asking. However, when, when that's not the case, I'm the kind of guy that's like, well, I'm, I'm going to ask even if that gets annoying because like, I don't know, maybe I should know, but I don't know what's obvious for me to go do so I'm going to ask and because then I can do something you know and I mean I agree with you with that you're saying that like your entire vision I don't think I got on the same page with you know yeah um which kind of made each day not that you need to plan each day 
uh, in advance because for, for one, it's going to change out there as the as it goes along. But I don't know. For some reason, I wish I wish we had been more on the same page up front of like what we're trying to get out of each day. You know, what, because what it really ended up boiling down to was the the evening of every day is what really matters you know yeah and sometimes well for for one you did most of that i mean you took i mean me and you know i felt like scott and i helped where we could but you just took the brunt of that what i felt unnecessarily you know Mm -hmm. which i didn't know was fully your plan um but then you know i mean you didn't know my plan but then you know Day two or three, it's like, well, hey, man, what what can we, you know, I don't know. I think that was just a, it was a challenge for me to try to figure out how better, how to step up better. Um, But I think, I think with the way it went, you know, I don't, you know, I tried to do what I, what I could and. You know, the nature of a trip like this is there's a lot of time that you can spend. And, you know, it's a challenge. It's a lot of time you can spend with people, with individuals. Um, and, you know, it's a challenge as an instructor trying to balance that role with also this other role that we find ourselves in the nature of who we are and how we operate of like, I don't even know what you'd call the other role, but it's not an instructor. It's like a more relational. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the word is, but that aspect of it, more of a peer. Yeah. yeah, In in some way. Yeah. It manifests itself that way. And at least, and because it's like, man, you're spending nine days with these people at the end of the who day, who are awesome people, who are awesome people, and at the end of the day, they're not going to get more out of the fact that they paddled than they are that they spent nine days with. I mean, they're their teammates, but also us, right? I mean, I'm just a, even if I'm an instructor, I'm still just a human being who is trying to impact people yeah. if I can, you know. So it's like if someone asks you a question. Are you just like in your head? Well, no, I'm an instructor. I'm not going to answer. You know, I mean that just seems silly. But I don't know. It's hard to ba- so that's a challenge balancing that. That is a challenge over that span of time. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And because it's also a challenge because it's hard not to do that, but it's also it seems like you should. Like. It seems like that's what it's becomes about, you know, and I don't know. I just, um, I think I failed a lot on, on this trip, but, um, you know, that's, I mean, it's kind of the nature of what, what this was, was, a. it was year one. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And, and for you guys that haven't trained with us before, or you guys that have even, some of you guys that have trained with us before the expectation for these more advanced missions the expectation is for the team 
to reach a point very quickly where they can operate autonomously. Well, I feel like we've made that clear. Or or independently of the instructors. They're basically taking us down the river. Yes, that that is the expectation, right? And and we're there we're there to critique the way that they do it. Right? And to and to really hone the way that they do it. Um and and obviously to keep things within safety parameters and things like that. So I think that relational aspect would have would have been improved if Team Genesis if Team Genesis would have ever reached that point. Yeah. Which in my opinion, Team Genesis never reached that point. To well, where 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 they were operating independently of of especially me. Well, yeah, that they always looked at me as the leader. Well, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think another big challenge was kind of in the same vein of what I was just saying was um, that that right there was how much do you get involved in making decisions for them as instructors? And hopefully, hopefully you completely. Well, right. Hopefully you can hope all you want. Yeah. But I, I you know, that that became a real challenge with with this and. You know, like I said, I don't want to speak for you because this is primarily your challenge because with me, yeah, you have a little bit of opportunity to do that, but ultimately you are the leader of the instructor cadre and, you know, if if a final decision had to be made, I mean, that it's the nature of you putting on the mission. It f- falls on you and, you know, that's... um. I think you found yourself having to do that for them, yeah, too much, yeah. So that would that's a challenge, yeah. So it didn't, uh, yeah. You're right, and I think that's because because I had to, we had to maintain that kind of role throughout the duration of the mission. I think it it lessened our ability to engage that team on a more peer to peer level, because that's what I tell these teams that run these advanced missions and they are truly advanced. I mean, I would take a seal platoon on that mission we just did and they would, they would grow from it. And, um, yeah, when the, the ultimate objective on these advanced missions is to develop these, this team, uh, develop them to a point that they, legitimately don't need me or us that's the ultimate objective um i tell them that all the time on these advanced advanced missions my my goal here is to work myself out of a job well i i can't always do that and if that doesn't happen i take partial responsibility for that that's what I was going to ask is why do you think, have you thought much about why do you think that didn't happen or those expectations weren't met? Was it because of the students or in some deficiency there? Was it because of communication, leadership, just the stru- different structure and nature of the mission? I imagine it's harder because for me, I envision people getting really stretched out on the river. Mm-hmm. And so you're not with 
in close quarters with each other as much. So communication totally would change. Um, the amount of time you're spending with everybody else on the team would change. You might be around one, you know, your buddy, your swim buddy or whatever. But, but so that would just the structure of the mission itself would impact that, I think. Um, so I guess I see that th- three different angles to that, the, the mission itself and the structure of it, the instructor's um, involvement and planning and communication of things and then the students themselves. So where, where do you think um, the most impact was in that? Yeah, I think that it started maybe with them not have the, the team not having a crystal clear understanding with my expectations of what essentially how they were supposed to operate mm-hmm. in de- totally independently of I agree with that of the, the instructor cadre the, just the, the setup from the, the beginning yeah the instructor Mindset. cadre are we are observers here we're simply observing you and what you do and how you interact and we're critiquing you and that's it everything else it's your opportunity to conduct a mission and have and and have a outside perspective on everything being analyzed on everything that you do right so i think it could start there um i think it would it went on uh in in terms of just the because if that was unclear to them in the beginning it was made clear very quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So then what it fell on, and probably one of my biggest takeaways from the trip was a reminder. And that reminder is everything in in terms of successfully completing a mission. It boils down to the leadership. Everything. And and it it well, th- there was the the leadership was there to a certain extent, but it was never there with the presence and the it was never orchestrated in the way that it it could have been right. So did you? I mean, what did you like answer a lot of their questions and make decisions for them? Why were they looking to you? For leadership on the I mean I know why they were looking to you for it but why were you giving it to them more so than you would on another course because we had to keep going yeah I mean so it was out of just like efficiency like you can't afford to yeah we not had do this right we had a set amount of time I yeah. think I think I think number one communication was the number one deficiency of that team and 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 where it also would fall on us is not making expectations clear in the beginning, communicating that. So that was our fault with the communication. But also, to Blake's point, it's real hard to get a genie back in the bottle. And when day one you make decisions for for a team, you're going to be looked to to do that from then on. Yeah. Even if you stop. Unless you set – Again, set the expectation yeah. like at the basic course. We might mm-hmm. tell them, hey, today we might do these things for you. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow we ain't. And, you know, you can 
even if they believe you or not, you can just say, yeah, I'm not answering your question. Just, if you want to go that way, go that way. Yeah. yeah. If you want to do this, yeah. do this. And I, But I, out I, there, I, I wondered if... I will say there's more risk out where we were. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think the environment would change yeah. some of that. Out of safety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it becomes a safety thing. Yeah. And that being said, all, all of this, you know, us debriefing this from an instructor standpoint, um, and you guys thinking, well, this sounds like this team just didn't didn't do good. No, they did awesome. Mm-hmm. They 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 got they did this thing. Well, I was gonna yeah. ask you, you, you what can't, are some highlights. Of you can't good suck. Yeah. If you suck, you are not going to do this thing. Yeah. No. I mean, what what they did was epic. Very few people have paddled that river from source to sea. And you talk about changing environments. I mean, you're in a constantly changing environment, fully exposed, working hard, uh, executing complex tasks and skills on a high level to get this done, right? So the things we're talking about are minor critiques, Mm -hmm. obviously, coming from from our perspective. Um, So they, they did good. It's just the minor critiques and and uh, and the expectation that we had, and yeah, Blake on the basic course, yeah, it's 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 a totally different environment in terms yeah. of risk. Um, highlights highlights of the team. I mean, they one of a huge highlight is they stayed positive. The, the entire time. So important. I mean, they stayed positive the entire time. I know that some of them on some of the days were challenged, whether that was mentally, physically, uh, emotionally, they were challenged. And never once did I hear a single word of complaint out of anyone. And that's huge. Mm-hmm. Especially for that long. <laughs> Ten people for mm-hmm. that long and never a single complaint. I just thought that that was absolutely amazing. Um, another big highlight of Team Genesis is, like Chili said, our evening meetings that we that we would have in our after actions reports, um, they were not afraid to engage in the deep, meaningful conversation and maximize that time of growth uh, that in, in those in those evening meetings and those after actions reports. And I just thought it was always impressive to me that even though they were out there out of their element, for most of them, for many of them, this was their first time ever kayaking. Mm. <laughs> And they, and this is what they chose to do. <laughs> and it's like, in spite of all that being out of their element, they were still super engaged in getting value and meaning and growth out of the conversations that we were able to have at the end of every day. I thought that was really impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, couple of the major physical challenges that we had out there, we got hit with a freaking brutal front, weather front. And 
we were on a section of the river where it was why it had widened out, weren't far from the coast, and we were paddling this section of river. All of a sudden, the tide comes into play. So we had a time window that day that we could paddle. And uh, so it wasn't like you could just pull off and wait the storm out. It was like, if you did that, it could potentially cost you another six-hour, seven-hour tide cycle. It could cost you a whole day. And uh, I kept looking behind me, and I could see it was getting black. I was calling that thing Big Nasty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was getting black. And within, what, 10 minutes, Chili? I mean, it was quick. Mm-hmm. It is, I don't know. I have I think back. I haven't even thought about thought back to this very much, but I think I thought about it a lot just as it was happening. How different we assess things. It's very interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Because like when that was behind us, to me it wasn't even there. Yeah. It it wasn't even there. I mean, I don't know what it's gonna do. I was just like, uh, eh, let's just keep going. And then, like you said, <laughs> then it's on you. And then what I would have done was totally different than what you would have done. Yeah. Like, it's, I don't know. It's just well, interesting. No, I, I, think, I think what you would have done definitely made sense. The reason I did what I did was to push them into that environment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it was, it, was a, it was a learning thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't necessarily, could, should we raft up and just wait this storm out? Or do we keep pushing? Yeah. And in terms of safety, I knew we could keep pushing. Although <laughs> that was going to be the more challenging thing to do. Well, you didn't know how windy it was going to get. I mean, what if it got slapped windy and everyone turned over? <laughs> That'd have been so bad. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that that would have been <laughs> ugly. Uh, but luckily, we had we had banks close on either side. Now, if we were out to sea. No way. No. No way you would have tried to do that out to sea. But, yeah, I kept looking back, and it was getting ugly, and, and all of a sudden this weather front rolls through, and that wind kicked up, man. I don't know how strong that wind was, but it was enough. No rain either, which was odd. Yeah, no rain. It was just a, a, a wind. It was enough to where when you lifted your paddle, one end of your paddle up to make a paddle stroke, the wind would catch the blade of your paddle and almost pull it out of your hand. Oh, yeah. It was nasty. And, uh... Well, yeah, like I said, when it was coming and you were talking about it and other people, I was just like, I mean, it wasn't even there. And then when it was on us, I was like, well, okay, let's, uh... It's here and we got to do something about it. You know what I mean? And then, but when it got there, then Chad didn't want to do anything about it. He just wanted to keep going. And I was like... Well, that's fine. You can, but he's over there losing his hat. Uh, I did lose my. That's the one thing that Ultima Aww. Hall claimed was my oh, hat. Man. Screwing man. around, paddling in circles, trying to get his hat, and then I when, I gave up on that after about two minutes. When they tried to raft up, I got over to him, and then they pushed me off back into the bank. So I I freaking fight the the tidal wave spin that I was in for a good <laughs> three minutes. Trying not to dang turn over, and then finally I get turned around, and and we all get back together, and they're just miserable, and I'm just like, well, 
let's hope this wind stops because I would have got over here on the bank for a second. And uh, but yeah, you know, Chad was just everybody kept looking back saying, "Is Chili all right?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, he's all right." I thought he had lost his hat. Why? Well, you know, it flew out of my off my head, and I caught it. Oh, oh man, good reflexes. And because um, you lost your favorite hat last time, oh, I'm so pissed. Yeah, on the recce trip, still pissed about that. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't want to lose this one because I couldn't replace that hat for many months, and then I finally found it. They re-released it, so I got got a replacement. And yeah, she flew off, and I caught it, and I just had it in my hand. And I think you looked back and saw my. I didn't have a hat on yeah. anymore and thought I was, had lost it. But I thought you had. But no, when we got back, you know, I saw Chad standing up with his with his foot up on the the um the 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 high end of his boat, and he was looking like George Washington, you know, telling everybody to press on. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, it's calming down, and and then finally it did calm down, and um. Yeah, that was probably the most. I mean, it took that long to get any significant thing like that happen. Yep, because that, that was day six. I don't know if we said, but yeah, that was day six, and because the tides coming into play where you're at, a freaking massive wind front comes through. You know, rain and, all around. It's. I mean, it was pretty. So, would you say that's maybe the scariest moment, or potentially the riskiest moment? Um, on the trip yeah it it could have potentially been what that was everything that we had learned everything that the team had learned in terms of how to paddle how to manipulate their boat um mindset stuff how to how to stay calm i mean we went we did drills we we dumped we we did all we learned how to flip our boat we learned how to ride our boat we learned how to get in and out of it we learned how to do a proper paddle stroke we learned about gear these are all formal classes that we taught that we had taught in the days prior to this everything the team had learned was for that very moment right because how many times do we learn stuff in life and somebody teaches us something like how to like how to how to paddle your boat right like how to, the proper paddle stroke and you th- you just ride it off you're just like oh well that's cool now I know how to paddle my boat right but it's sunny there's no wind the river's calm we only got to cover 20 miles today no oh, that that was cool class right well when you come out on these missions with us which, by the way, we're the only people that do stuff like this. When you come out and train with us, we're teaching you all of those things for the moment when crap hits the fan. That's why we're teaching them to you. We're not teaching them to you because you you need to know them when everything's going perfect. So that is the reason that I came up like George Washington and said, no, you're not rafting up. You have the skills. You've been taught the skills that you need to get through this safely. So press forward. And it was ugly. 
<laughs> it was ugly. Um, but that was a brutal storm. And then I would say the the other most risky moment was the hellhole. Yeah, which was the right hellhole. The hellhole never disappoints. Yeah, it's like day six culminated with uh, the forced utilization or not of all that you have been taught. And so the hellhole never disappoints. What'd you think, Chili? I didn't get to spend much time there. <laughs> you never even made landfall on the hellhole. I still believe that you think that I, in particular, <laughs> was just not going to stay there. Well, you was waiting on the tide. I still, oh, I know for a fact he he just he just wasn't going to stay in the hellhole. I still know he thinks that, um, which is not true, but that's fine. Um, so, Look. Yeah, so tell us what happened. So this is when we get to the hellhole, you're on a significant time crunch and you know that because of the tide. Mm-hmm. And and the distance from where you left off from. I mean, you know it's going to be close to to getting there. Uh, I mean, you, you know you should know that going in that like, well, if we don't do this pretty quickly, it'll literally start sending us back before we get there. And then what? So, a couple miles out from it, not too long before the tide's coming back in, we have this storm happen, which, you know, I I thought they should, um, that part of their training was knowing when to push and when not to, and my opinion would have been to get over to the side, hug a tree for a minute, let it pass over. But George Washington sent them on, and then um, they were all discombobulated from that. And honestly, after that, went really slow, um, and started, you know, started like you said, we're being re- very hard on them. They obviously did very well, but when you're an advanced mission, it's advanced. That's crit- what it's about. It's being a, hard on. It's you. advanced critiques. You know what I'm saying? So like. The expectation is dang near perfection. perfection. Um, and so, yeah, they look pretty crappy leaving that. And I get it, you know, there was that was some adversity, but the regroup has to happen immediately. And it didn't and moved pretty slow. And, you know, then the weather got nice all of a sudden. You know how fast it changes. And then that kind of seemed to be like, oh, okay, it's all good now. Well, you know. That's the whole point of being ready when it's nice and sunny out because it'll change. But so that so that was kind of the mindset going into the hellhole, right? And then finally you get there or get right up to it and you notice, uh, well, the dang tides slack. Or, or, so we're at low tide. Yeah, I mean, it, it's here. Here she comes. And, uh, and, you know, as far as my perspective me and Scott are kind of in the back of the group. Chad's up in the front. And basically, I immediately start thinking, well, we've got to get 10 boats in before us three are in. Like, you, I mean, you kind of have to 
ensure that they're where they need to be before we are. At least was my thinking. At le- yeah, I think w- I think the way it panned out, it was perfect. One of at least one of us needed to go in. Well, yeah, you with did. Them, and then that ensures that you at least have one instructor there. Yeah, but, I mean, th- that that's the thing is you kind of wouldn't at least – like what if you got 10 students in and then us three couldn't? Yeah. That wouldn't be good. So I or do what if you get five students in and five students out? That's yeah. why That's why I think what, what, what ended up – what you guys ended up doing was ultimately well, was, the right call. Well, that because, was my thinking. Yeah, because let me give you a picture of the hellhole real quick Yeah, so y'all know what we're talking about. The hellhole – by the way, if me and Chili name a place the hellhole, that should tell you something. All right? <laughs> so the hellhole is is out near to the mouth of the river. And out there, it's nothing but marsh flats. There's no dry ground. So you can't make camp. But, like Chili said, the tide is so strong there that you have to get off the water when the tide starts coming back in, or it's just going to push you backwards. You can't paddle against it. There's one place that you can get off the water. Two. Two, yeah. <laughs> one of them's a public boat ramp. The other place, because we don't use public boat ramps. Yeah, well. The other place is the hellhole. It. And it's just a little slot cut out of the, the marsh grass, and there's a dike that's built between the river and what I think used to be a bunch of rice paddies. But they've since just rice paddies. Yeah. No crap. I think it was I think it was where they grew rice at. That's just what we called it. I I, I doubt it. I, no I, you think it was rice paddies or the rice? I, I read about that. Patties. Well you know what I'm saying? I mean whatever they call it, rice fields. You're right. It's rice paddy. It's okay. a rice field. Okay. So I, that's where they used to grow rice. They've since they've since just turned it all into a natural area, so they don't do that anymore. But there's a dike built there, and it's a big pile of uh like gravelly sand, and all it is is it's a massive ant mound. It's the only dry ground. So the ants. I think it literally is an anthill. The ants have congregated on this single piece of dry ground like you've never seen in your entire life. You've never seen so many ants. <laughs> literally, we woke up the, that night and the whole, somebody's boat was nosed up into some lily pads. Some ants had carried it off. Literally, the whole front of the boat was black. It probably had a three million ants on it. <laughs> and so you got to pull into this little slot. And here's the caveat. At low tide, when the water goes down, it, it comes back off of the dike. So you can't get your kayak into the dike unless you've got some water. And I don't think people understand what that means. Like, yeah, like... This is legitimately quicksand. And and that's what I was about to say. So people think, well, well, why don't you just get out of your boat and just pull your boat across the ground to the base of the dike and then clamber up there? When the water recedes, it is marsh mud. It's marsh mud 
like I've never seen in my life. And when Chili and Scott got stuck outside the slot because the tide receded too fast for them to get in, I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to try to just walk out to them and grab one of their bow lines and pull them in. I stepped off in this mud, and in three steps, I was over my knee. And it is dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. Because this stuff will suck you in and completely immobilize you. And what happens is you get sucked into this mud, and because it's mud all around you, you can't push yourself up to get unstuck. So you're just stuck. And if the tide comes back in, which is going to come back in, you drown. Unless somebody can get a rope out to you and and hopefully you can get enough people on the rope to pull you out. It is freaking dangerous, man. And that's the hellhole. Yeah. How was the Hilton? Yeah, well, <laughs> not much better. It doesn't sound. Well, like. I'll just say, in my opinion, since we're the way we're talking about this, I so I, we left a situation that I disagreed with, and then got confronted with a new situation that Chad went up. You know, which is the right thing to do because, like you said, we couldn't have all three waited because what if you get ten students in, then we're all three out. Um, but. I was like, I need to be here in the back you know, to make sure these guys get up. So Chad goes up to look. And at that point, he should have, in my opinion, if it was me, I would have said, nah, this ain't it. We, d- we need to get out of this, get these 12 to 13 boats out of this, this area that's literally receding so fast that one or all of us may get stuck. And go across the river to the only other spot that you can stay at, which is that it's a there's an access to. I mean, you get up, you can use the boat ramp to get up, or just the grass right there. It's a big field, and then go stay off in the grass, um, wide open platform. It makes total sense. It's where I wanted to stay last year. He refused. Well, you know what, Chili? There is nothing wrong with your plan at all except for one thing what's that on the paddle mission one night in the hell hole is mandatory well yeah that's the only thing that's wrong with your plan i like that but sometimes <laughs> it just don't that just oh it's mandatory son that just ain't gonna fly I, I, I mean if you get there and the tide's too low the only option is to hold on to the marsh grass until the tide comes back in, and then you can get into the, the hellhole. The hole. risk assessment <laughs> that Chad... And, wait for to get into the hellhole. Chad, yep. Chad always likes to say how we're just alike. We do risk assessment entirely different. It's very interesting. Like, what Chad will see as risky sometimes, I'm like, what? Yeah. What do you see as risky about this? And then sometimes what I'm like, mm, no, this is not a good idea. Chad's like, well, just do it, man. <laughs> I don't even understand. It's like that's why we work together. We're totally. Chili's fine, uh, hunched over a rock at eleven thousand feet on a sheer drop with yeah. forty mile an hour winds. Well, that's a good example. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what's what are what? Can you identify what's different about those? I situations? found that I f- I thought it was not a good idea to stay at the hellhole. I mean, particularly, it depends on what your other options are. 
like to me that option is just it makes total sense i mean if you're just trying to be logical about it now if you want to make somebody stay at a, i agree at a hellacious location well that's obviously going to cloud his judgment <laughs> you ever slept in an ant mound <laughs> <laughs> but logically when you have this option it's like well this is this is too risky quote unquote to stay here when you have this option the other example of where I remember we had a disagreement was just at the top of the mountain in Utah. It, I, you know, Chad was like, well, this is, this is too risky to continue. You know? And I remember I was just like, no, nah, I just, yeah. let's do it. Yeah. You know, but I don't know. We just do risk assessment differently. Um, but you know, there's obviously other examples, I guess, but th that's just one that, sticks out as far as these missions go but in the end he, he luckily got all 10 students up there but truly by the time that that had happened whether you think i wanted to stay there or not i mean i definitely didn't want to go just me and scott stay off by ourselves away from everybody i mean i definitely didn't want to do that so that that wasn't what i wanted to happen but at that point it was like, well, if you think we're going to come in, try to come in there now and just get stuck right here, that'd be really stupid because we were going to get stuck and we still wouldn't have been with the team because they were up on the dike on you the ant mound. You just had the favor of the Lord upon you, man. I mean, that's all yep. it was. <laughs> so, me and so uh, Chili called me. Chili called me and he said, uh, he said, now look, Chad, I understand your frustration. <laughs> But we ain't getting in here. <laughs> and then I that then finally I, I I he responded so pissed. I was like, "Hey man, I know you're frustrated, but let me just go ahead and tell you, we ain't we ain't coming in there." I said, "We're gonna go across that river right there. Me and Scott gonna ferry glide, and uh, we're gonna hit that that boat ramp, and we're gonna stay there for the night." Yeah. And yep. I, and he was oh gosh, he was pissed. But <laughs> what would he say? <laughs> Nothing really. Just kind of. Hmm. I no, y'all no, come, come on up in here. And I, I was just like, no. I sent them on their way. Oh, man. And you should have told them to wait on the tide and then paddle back over. <laughs> well, that's what we, I mean, that is what we did. That's what they did, really? essentially. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You don't, we, stay, you don't stay in the hellhole long. No, we, that was probably nine o'clock at night, getting dark, by the way. And me and Scott just went back because the tide's moving you back um, to that that other location on the other side of the river where this little dock is. And I tied, you know, we tied our boats there, walked up to this, um, desolate derelict, derelict, uh, <laughs> car park. Uh, Tell them about Scott's cussing fit. <laughs> parking lot. Well, look, man, everyone acts like we went and stayed in a dang hotel. It ain't like we stayed in some beautiful location. Now, <laughs> now, it's a thousand times better than the hellhole as far as like ants. No, no, I got, oh, trust me. You wait for the bug story. Uh, as far as safety, I mean, it's, it's not, it, it, it totally makes sense. Um, but here are the negatives. Uh, there's that parking lot is lit up all night. And, that sucks. And I mean, you, I, we literally sat under a light. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> and, uh, you could get out of it, but with it just being me and Scott, we were like, look, man, I don't know if some cop's going to come mess, you know, run you off from here or some 
drug deals are going to happen in here. We'll just stay close to the light. And I should have moved. I, it was it was stupid. I listened to Scott, and then Scott moved, and his da- <laughs> it was daggum stupid. I stayed up for freaking five hours just playing security guard for Scott <laughs> because because cops. He was like, I'm not really worried about anybody else coming in here. And then a dang car pulled in and just looked at us, shining their headlights, and I was like. Well, look, Scott, I am. and uh, Scott ain't never worried about nothing. No, he don't think nobody's going to hurt him. No. Um, so I said, well, all right, I guess I'm going to just stay up all night and freaking play uh, security guard at this facility. And But it, honestly, what's the dang difference? Nobody got any sleep that night. You, you, we got up at 3.30. Um, so we both lay down. I'm in the light because Scott wanted to be, and I thought, I ain't going to sleep anyway. I don't freaking care. I sat there and ate some nuts and granola because we hadn't eaten about eight hours. And um, But what I had ate eight hours ago, the uh, ice cream from Altamaha Park had just made its way to my uh, digestive system. His lower bowels. <laughs> Boy, she was wreaking havoc. <laughs> so by, I forgot all about that. At 11 o'clock, I got up for the first time to go take a crap. And then that was on repeat every 30 minutes Dang. for the rest of the night. Oh, yeah. So I was getting super dehydrated. I mean, I was. it was to the point I was getting dehydrated. You had the scars? Oh, yeah. I was oh, like, a bit of that marsh mud I in was his like, gut, son. Crap, man. And... So I was like, yeah, why even worry about sleep? I mean, this is just totally not meant to. But I'm skipping ahead a little bit because around 11, after we had been laying down for a little while, Scott's in his... in his. <laughs> <laughs> Scott laid a sleeping pad on the sidewalk under the light, <laughs> put a bug net around his... <laughs> <laughs> around his top half and just had his lower legs exposed and he like put a blanket over his legs so i don't even really know how they were getting in there but all of a sudden he just he he shoots up and just i can't even i don't even know what ollie was saying i mean just freaking pissed biting the booger out of him biting biting the booger out of him He was like, well, they're eating me alive. I'm going to go down to the to the boat dock. And so he just packs all his crap up and checks on out. Goes and lays on the, the boat dock down there by his boat. And I'm like, well, good. He can make sure our boats don't float away. Because y'all know I don't know how to tie a knot. So, uh, so I'm just sitting up there crapping every 30 minutes. Scott's down by the water. I'm like, he's probably getting eaten alive there anyway because he's using the same system down there, and I don't think the bugs are any better. The bugs at this place, man, the mosquitoes, I mean, I can't say this, but I was with somebody who was just in Alaska for two weeks. He said the mosquitoes at that parking lot were about as big as in Alaska. I mean, I killed one one time. It literally weighed. It was like a bee. It was ginormous, and I hit it. And I almost didn't kill it when I first smacked it. It was so big. That's another thing about it. this area. Yeah. And then I smacked it again, and then blood. I mean, it had enough blood. I mean, it was like killing a dog. You needed that Ruger Alaskan for them. To- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had it with me. 
Um, golly. And every time you got out of your tent and took a crap, there they were. Oh, yeah. And um, Immediately. And, and I swear that dang light was attracting them. Mm. Oh, I'm sure it was. Because when I got away from the light, they weren't as bad. Freaking parking lot light. And But anyway, about, I don't know, one in the morning, which it it seemed like it was one in the afternoon the whole time because it's freaking so light out. Here comes another car. And oh, I'm like, man. good gosh. And same thing. Just <coughs> came in there, pulled a good ways away, and just sat there for a while. So I just sit there laying down, just looking at it, looking at it, looking at it about 30 minutes. They turn their car on and go on. And I don't know what they did, what they were going to do, but I didn't have, I didn't have any interactions with anybody, but, um, you got a lot of practice at that chili. Yeah. Get your gun ready. Uh, yep. so then, you know, it's about time to get up again and then. I'm like, well, you know what? What if I could just get a little bit of sleep? I bet I'll be woken up if anything happens. So I I lay down, sitting there for a while. Finally, I doze off. Next thing I know, I'm jolted awake by Scott going, all right, you ready? <laughs> and uh, it's 3.30, and I'm like, yeah. So he's about already packed up, and then... And then I start packing all my crap up. And then I don't know what the deal was, but I was ready before Scott was. I don't know what he was doing. He was <laughs> fiddling with his gear and everything. And finally we got we got ready and we were like, well, they they want us over here at what time did they want us over at the hellhole? Did y'all want us there? They I think they were gonna step off at five AM. Yeah, five. And so we made sure, we, we were like, it's going to take us 40 minutes or something, um, depending on how this tide is going. I don't know why we thought, we miscalculated, I guess, because I think I think the team decided to leave late, in our opinion. Yeah. Because the tide was moving. They could have left earlier, yeah. Yeah, because it would have taken us more time, but we left at four and got there in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And we were there super early. So we get there, and we're like, well, no one's even going to be up. But then the whole team was up. Yeah, they got in their boats early. They were almost all in the water. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to leave early. And we just sat there getting eat up by mosquitoes <laughs> for 40 minutes. I, that That right there is what this team did that blew my mind. Was Chad up in his tent? No, Chad was ready early. Oh, you were ready later. Yes, though. You were ready later than they were. Oh, but, I, I got in my boat at four fifty nine. But you could have gotten in earlier. <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, y'all are literally ready at four thirty. Let's the tide's moving out. Let's let's leave. I don't know what this obsession with time was. With like, if you said, I mean, well, we said six o'clock. We'll just sit here and wait for an hour and a half. I mean, it blew my mind because another uh, thing. I was making a point. Well, another thing on the way out was they had told Chad the time at the objective was like, uh, let's just say eight. And it was clear that they were going to get there at seven. Just I'm throwing out numbers. And then they were like, well, guys, let's slow down. We said, hey, I'm like, 
what? I mean, that stuff like that just blew my mind. I mean, if you can get there an hour early, yeah, let's let's do it. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I was, so how uh, close is the hellhole to the finish? Are you like almost there? No, it's a, it, oh, well, okay. that's that's not the finish. Well. True, um, it's true. a long ways from the finish. Okay. A long, long ways from the finish, but it's a quick it's, paddle. Though. It's only about ten miles from mm-hmm. their next objective. Okay. Um, Even from the finish, you do that fast. Really? Yeah. Well, um, I'm talking to Wolf Island. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of the next place that they have to go by in order to hit their objective right so it's objectives that are driving their timeline so they have multiple objectives and they'll reach a point where they have to stand by for their next objective so it just keep that's what drives the mission um but no a, a lot of that a lot of that chili was since you weren't there in the hellhole with me that night yeah <laughs> How did lot, that go? A, well, a lot of that was me making a point, and that's one thing with Team Genesis. They never, they never learned what their, um, they never learned like what their true capability was in terms of efficiency. So when they, the night before, when they made their plan to leave the hellhole at five, they set their wake up time for three thirty, I think. 3.30 or 4. And I asked them during their brief, whatever it was, let's say it was 3.30, I said, are you sure you need to wake up at 3.30 to leave here at 5? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're just going to make sure we have the extra time, right? And so when we talk about expectations for a professionals, we're talking about efficiency as part of that expectation and utilizing your time perfectly. In order to utilize your time perfectly, you have to know what your capability is. So they had, there were plenty of opportunities to run a clock and say, all right, guys, we're, we need to pack up camp, get on the water. Let's do this as fast and efficiently as we can. I'm going to time it, right? So the team should know exactly how long it takes them to break down camp, get in a boat, and leave. The conditions at the hellhole were a little different than anywhere else they had been. I get that. You should put a you should put a 10-minute cushion in there, right? In in different in a different environment. There there needs to be a cushion. But that was part of me driving a point home that you know, you just sacrificed time that you could have been resting because you don't quite understand what your capability is in terms of breaking this stuff down and being on the boats and being on the water. Well, so well, a, a perfect team would have slept and rested, slept or rested, not many people sleep there, but they would have laid there with their eyes closed <laughs> Until the last moment that they knew they needed to get up, stow gear, they should have been in the boats no greater than five minutes before 5 a.m. That's why they did it. They weren't sleeping anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> but there are different types of rest. Yeah. You don't have to be sleeping to be resting. 
right? So it's, there's so many components in in terms of operating at your maximum potential. There's so many components that I look for, and efficiency's one of them, leadership's one of them, communication's one of them, um, knowing your gear, your skill sets, all that stuff. It's all. It's, there's just we could no possibly no way we could possibly debrief everything on this podcast. But that was one that they never realized. Like what? Okay, what is our capability? So they told me five o'clock. Um, that night I took over position as their LPO. So they told me five o'clock in their own plan, and I said, "Okay, I'll be I'll be ready at five. So I got on the boat at four fifty nine. That's why they sat there and waited for me to get on the boat at four fifty nine because the plan was to get on the water at five, and the time the timeline they had a time window to be at the objective that their second objective there's a time window and that time window is what was driving their their pace and the reason they left at five because the next time window was from 10 to 12 for them to hit their follow-on objective which means they can't be there before 10 but they can't be there after 12. That's how that works. So that was driving a lot of their movement. Mm. So, yeah. um, so many lessons learned on this mission, man. Uh, we just obviously barely, barely even scratched the surface of what happened out there. And uh, I'm gonna run. I'm gonna run. We're we're gonna run this mission again. This will only be done once a year. Because this is the most advanced, uh, in depth, in duration, and in terms of skill and and all that stuff, this will be run once a year. And I'm gonna run this again, Lord willing, in August of 2023. So if you guys are interested in coming and doing this mission, where do you want them to send an email, Blake? I guess to uh, three of seven events. Three of seven events. At well, if gmail.com. You're, if you're wondering, Chili will be running support on this one. But it's... <laughs> yeah. uh, Chili, you can run support on the next one. <laughs> uh, there's a requirement to have attended another course, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, we got to know who you are. Yeah. And um, if, you, uh, if you're interested in doing this mission next year, after hearing all these stories... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I can guarantee you next year's mission is going to be even more difficult than this year's mission. And I'll just leave it at that. I won't tell you what's going to change, but I'm going to tell you it's going to be harder. So uh, if you want to Roger up for it, you can put your name in the hat and uh, and we'll fill the team for 2023. I'd love to see you out there. I'll be shadowing you. <laughs> <laughs> we will... Uh, We'll fill the team up as we go. It's limited to 10, 10 team members. So that was fun for me anyways. The listeners may not have liked it, but it's all good. It's fun for me. It's, it's my podcast. <laughs> I don't care if you listen to it or not. I liked it. <laughs> well, no, seriously, we appreciate you guys tuning in and, uh, no kidding, this is an epic opportunity if you haven't ever done anything of this duration and you're looking for something to 
significantly challenge you uh, in in ways that are transferable to real life. This is this is some top shelf stuff. This mission is pretty top shelf. Um, Don't you want to think about it a little longer? No, I love, dude. I love it. I I absolutely love it. It makes me wish. It makes me wish that we did more stuff of this duration. Well, we can. It really does. Yeah, in terms of training, I mean, you say we can. It's really hard to break. It's it, it's difficult for anyone to break away for ten days, including yeah. me. It's like it's that's why this is the 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 big like mission of the year is it's it's hard to run these things and break away for that long so um but no i love it i love the duration of it so could combine a long hike with the paddle <sighs> well there's a just wait just wait till next year <laughs> there'll wow. be some surprises all right for the instructors <laughs> <laughs> for everybody yep there'll be some surprises all right, guys. Well, we uh, we appreciate you tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Enough said. <laughs>